Welcome to Elemental Whispers, a podcast dedicated to creating pathways of remembrance through the sharing of personal experiences and real-life sacred stories of working with the community of other world beings for healing, growth, and joyful enchantment. I'm Diamira Rose D'Agostino, and this is my gift to you, a podcast that is really meant to be a doorway. May it illuminate this pathway of magical remembrance. May its medicine of enchantment guide you in your elemental journey of soul, earth, and spirit. I've just come in from gardening. I've had a most initiatory experience in the garden today when I pruned and trained my roses for the first time. Before I share with you about the roses, I want to let you know that this episode is the season finale and going to be the last episode of the season for a little bit while I take a break, while I take stock, while I see what the second season wants to look like, and also when I want to start it. I am thinking of taking at least the summer. It's July right now, and I probably would like to take August off as well. And what I would love from you while I am in this incubation gestation in between period is feedback. I would love to hear from you. Connect at diamirarose.com. Send me an email with your feedback. And what kind of feedback am I looking for? I would love to know what have been your favorite episodes and why. And then I'm also thinking about the ratio of solo episodes to episodes where I'm having a conversation or interviewing somebody and wanting to know which ones you like better, why, and if you liked the interviews, what were some of your favorite interviews slash, I know they're more like conversations, so just think of that word as synonymous right now, Uh, which ones were your favorite and why, and that will all help me get clearer. As you know, I'm an artist, so I'm going to follow the beat of my own artist's heart in terms of the creation of this podcast, but it also really helps me hear from you and hear your perspective as well. I really appreciate it. So please send me an email. And also in this interim, you have an opportunity to leave me a review, which I would be ever so grateful for. Leave some stars and some words. It doesn't have to be big involved, huge. So many of you have written to me about how some of the episodes have impacted you. If you literally just take some of that, you could copy and paste it into uh, a review. It would be really, really appreciated. So yeah, that's, I just wanted to let you know, this podcast is not ending, uh, at least (laughs) not unless something crazy happens within me, but also, um, but I do need this break. And so much is ending. As you know, I completed Elemental Whispers Essence Line. Thank you to everyone who wrote me a message letting me know your support, your love, your gratitude for the essences. And just thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. It means so much to me. And yeah, as I complete different pieces of my work, I am also just taking a look and seeing what's left and where my focus is. Right now, my focus is very much on my one-on-one work with my clients. And I have finally completed a the webpage detailing an offering that I've been sharing for quite a while, actually. And up until this point, it's been a secret offering, unless you were kind of in the know, you didn't really know, but I'm sharing it now. It's called the Enchanted Heart Essence Journey. And it's a way of working with me one-on-one that really is a beautiful opportunity to deepen into your soul's path. What that looks like for each person is very different, but this is when you are deepening into the magic of who you are and the magic of 
life on this planet. This is a beautiful offering of my heart and it is co-created with the spirits of New Avalon. So it is a co-created spirit container and so much that happens on the journey is outside of our sessions. It happens with you and with the spirits and with the movement and frequency of your own soul's voice. It's very beautiful and it's beautiful to be held when we are crossing thresholds, when we are opening up doorways within ourselves, when we are activating new levels of consciousness. And so that is what this offering endeavors to do. And I have it all uh, explained and described on the webpage. You can get to it when you go to the one-on-one -on -one services or work with me page. You'll see it, Enchanted Heart Essence Journey. It's a minimum three-month commitment. And there is an option to book a little chat with me so that we can meet each other and just see if it is a good fit and we would have a good working relationship, please only book that chat. If you are seriously feeling called and your body is just singing in resonance with what I share on that page, I go into this great description on that page about the journey. And I'm happy to answer any questions in the chat that we have as well. So that is one of my main focuses right now. And also the garden, which is what this episode is dedicated to. And I'm also dreaming in a sacred container and group healing journey that I will not say any more about because I am cooking it in my being, but that is where my energy is going. So the roses the roses. The story of the roses is really set within a greater context of my journey with gardening. And first and foremost, I have to say that many people assume that I am an excellent gardener. And this assumption, I imagine, comes from people knowing what I do for my work, which is that I have devoted my life in service to the earth, in service to supporting the healing and reconciliation of our relationship with the spiritual realms of Gaia's sacred ecosphere, and healing our wound and belief of separation between us and the sacred seen and unseen beings, energies, spirits, and realms that are part of life on earth. So because of that, many people assume that I am a great gardener. They assume that because I can communicate with the spirits of nature, with the devas and nature spirits, with the elemental kingdom, with fairy, that I would be able to plant things well and I would be just so joyful about it. <laughs> and I can assure you that nothing is further from the truth. Now, what I want to say is that even though I do not enjoy gardening, even though I am not a good gardener, does not mean I do not have a great respect for the garden, for gardeners, for the whole process. I have an exquisite respect and I love gardens. I said I didn't like gardening, but I love gardens. And my love of gardens was cultivated and nurtured from the time I was a little girl. It's one, some of my happiest memories are with my mother hopping around our tiny little garden. I grew up in inner city Chicago. In the city, we, of course, we're very close to neighbors on either side. There's just a tiny little sliver of what we call the gangway in between separating homes. And to our right was more of an apartment building. And then to the left was the uh, another house. And there was a chain link fence separating. Our, basically, we would share a chain link fence with the neighbors. And then that separated our yards. And then the back backed up to an alleyway where cars could drive through. 
and some houses had garages and whatnot. And so this was just this tiniest plot of backyard. And yet it was my mom's pride and joy. And it was such a magical playground for me. The whole left side of it was shaded by a huge mature crabapple tree that I loved. I would gather the crab apples that fell and I learned very early on that you didn't really eat them because they were quite bitter or sour, however one would describe them. And at some point I set out on a great endeavor to collect them and try to make jam, which was its own thing because neither my mother nor my grandmother really had the skill set of preservation. <laughs> Uh, they were city folk. And anyways, so the crabapple tree was a huge, sacred memory of mine. And then on the other half of the yard, we at some point got an above ground pool, <laughs> a blight upon the eye, but as a child, I of course loved it. And there was a mulberry tree and there were honeysuckle shrubs that blocked the view of the alleyway. And along the side that bordered one of our neighbors, we had a peony bush or plant, and then we had a rose bush. So every year, my mom would get all of these flowers and she would plant all these flowers in the garden, all these annuals and vegetables. And I would hop around with this watering can and water them thinking that I was <laughs> really, you know, doing something. And, uh, it was just very fun, very sweet, very magical. And so we had all these annuals and yet it was some of these perennials that came up every year that just, have even to this day such sacred places in my heart memory. So the crab apple was one, the peonies were another. In the gangway, we actually had a lilac shrub and the scent, even now I can, that scent brings me back to childhood. We had a swath of lily of the valley right next to the lilac shrub. And then let us return now to the rose. So we had this lone rose bush and to me, this rose was the greatest rose in the whole world. This rose was what I later learned in life was the color of magenta. But growing up as a little girl, I called her my red rose. To me, this was what a red rose looked like. I didn't even know that there was a rose that was actually red, red, blood red until much later. And so this rose, I don't even remember it having a scent. I think it was one of those hybrid tea roses, but I loved it. And what's so interesting is that I don't think my mom even planted it. I don't know if it was there before she got there, or I will have to actually ask her the history, but my mom doesn't like roses. She <laughs> complains that they're too fussy. And so I don't think she would have planted it. My grandma, on the other hand, loves roses. She loved roses and she always lived upstairs. So we had this two-story house. It was a one apartment below and one apartment above. And my grandma lived in the one above and we had the one below. My dad owned the house. So my grandma lived above us and she would have on her cocktail table, which is what we now call a coffee table, uh, in the front room, which is what most people call a living room, <laughs> that's Chicago speak, was a little knickknack that was this glass encased artificial rose. And it was the same color as the rose bush. So it was this single rose blossom inside this glass cube. And I loved it. I loved to walk around with it and play with it. And I don't know why my grandma had it except for, I seem to think it was either her mother's or it reminded her of her mom. And that is because my great grandmother, her name was Rose. So that is who I'm named after. It is my middle name. And this was how my feelings around a garden were nurtured, were begun, and were instilled in, within me for, from a very young age. So fast forward to present day, more or less, and 
when we moved here in the spring of 2017, one of the first plants I noticed that had been planted in this elevated garden box was a rose. It was planted from, you know, one of the previous owners of this home, and it was the same color as the rose of my childhood. So there was this linking of rose to rose. There was a linking, a calling back and a calling forward from my childhood and that memory of gardening and the magic and the beauty and all of the delight that a garden brought to me. And I wanted that for this place. So allow me to share with you (laughs) this journey. And you will, of course, also hear how the roses spiral in to the sacred story web. So to give some topographical context for the story, our home sits on about six acres of land and Most of that acreage is forested. There's a river to the west that I walk down to and commune with. There are mountains in the distance that can be seen only when the trees lose their leaves. And then you see this expansive mountain view. So this is the lay of the land. And there were several elevated garden beds constructed. Other than the rose, nothing was growing in them. So that was my first endeavor, was to work on those garden beds. And at the beginning, my mom came out and visited and helped me with the one, and we got some plants planted. That was kind of the first bit. But I'm going to fast forward us to the journey of the main garden, which is sometimes we refer to it as the lower garden, other times it is Ultimately, the new Avalon Temple Garden, which is the newest installation. The design for it began in mid-2019, but we completely overhauled that design, threw it out, and it was really a little stressful because we had actually spent a lot of time and money working with a landscape designer. And then we decided that, no, we didn't want to go in that direction. And so then I went in the direction of wanting to create this more permaculture principled installation. And I have (laughs) no understanding of permaculture, had no understanding. And energetically, I understood it. And it felt like what I wanted to weave in here. And yet the reality is a whole other story. Part of the permaculture experience is, first of all, working with the natural flows and energy systems of the land. That's first. So you observe the land and you see, okay, how is the land naturally working? Where the water flows? Where does the water come down? Where is there erosion? Where is the wind hitting? All of these things. Where is the sun hit? What are the animals like? What are the migration patterns? What are the humidity patterns? So you really have to observe for a while. And then it's about working with those energy systems, leveraging them in order to create a, hopefully, a a living ecosystem that has all these inputs of and feeds itself and then creates this beautiful, harmonious system of abundance for not just the humans, but also for the animals, the pollinators. And for in for me, it was also really important to create a living sanctuary for the spirits of this place and the spirits of New Avalon. So ideally, you're planting a lot of food plants, plants that are going to feed you and also the beings that live here. And you also want to think in the context of perennials because you want plants that are going to produce without you having to put labor in over and over and over to replant, like for example, tomatoes. Nothing wrong with having tomatoes. We have them, but I'm just giving an example of Permaculture is really about planting, you know, a food forest, fruit trees, and greens like sorrel and other perennial vegetables that are going to come up over and over again. And then looking at what each of those vegetables, what each of those plants, how they contribute to the overall system. 
So we created the new Avalon Garden, which is the lower temple garden with, we wanted to create it with a lot of these principles in mind. And we really had no idea what we were doing. And it was, there are so many quote unquote mistakes I made, things that set me back so far, so many plants I've lost because one of the big challenges that we have is we have a lot of deer and we have rabbits and raccoons and bear and, you know, it's fine. I don't mind feeding them, but they have a whole forest. <laughs> so when you wake up and half the things you planted are completely been annihilated by the deer, it's actually quite devastating. So it's a matter of how do we, uh, how do we discourage the deer and then also maybe plant some plants that deer won't eat, but also discourage them. So that in and of itself was a journey and creating proper fencing and that sort of thing. But how I came to get roses was that as I began to make lists of plants that I, that was so important to me to have, and it wasn't just a matter of food, but I was for me and Curtis, but it was also looking at these other important factors. Are they going to serve the pollinators? You know, maybe I have beautiful flowers that are really just supporting the butterflies and the bees, and they're not food or herbs. Maybe there's other plants that I have a deep relationship with, a medicine relationship with that I, for example, I work with meadow sweet. I also work with comfrey. I also work with nettle. So I planted all of those plants. Now, truth be told, I actually don't harvest a whole lot of those plants. I do harvest a lot of the nettle for cooking. We cook all kinds of things with nettle. People get nettled out <laughs> by the time summer hits because I've been using it so much. But we, I don't really use, for example, the meadow sweet that I grow, but I grow it because I order meadow sweet and I work with meadow sweet. So I grow it to really honor that. So I chose plants that I wanted to plant very specifically in some cases. In other cases, I chose plants that just, I would be walking through a garden center and they would call to me, or I would be scanning a list and I would feel some energy when I got to a certain name of a plant, even not knowing what that plant is. Some of the plants that I want so badly just have not worked out. Some of them took me three or four times to plant over and over again. And finally, at some point they get established. Now, because of my connection with the rose, the rose of my childhood, and of course, I have this now rose growing in the rose box, which, as I said, was a linking, a callback to my magical child within me. I desired to be a tender of roses. One thing to note about the, both the childhood rose and the current rose in the rose box is that they do not have a scent. The scent that you always hear, that iconic scent that you hear about, the heady perfume of heaven that roses have. I did not experience a real growing rose having that scent until probably my adult years. And so, of course, this took me on a huge deep dive into roses. And as I learned, so many of the flowers that are sold in nurseries and garden centers have been so hybridized and so cultivated that a lot of them have been, the scent has been cultivated right out of them. And they a lot of the hybrid roses don't have a scent. And to me, I'm, I feel the scent is half, if not more, of the beauty of the rose. I was told once long ago by a distributor of supplements. She worked for one of the big supplement companies, which I'm not going to name. But apparently the person who started this supplement company, I have no idea if this is true. That's why I'm not even going to say the name. But the parent, the person who started this company was a meditator. And what they learned and discovered through meditation was that roses 
the scent of roses actually will entrain you to the frequency of love. The same frequency that if you were to measure on the frequency scale, a vibration of somebody when they are falling in love, that frequency is, according to this person, was the same as the frequency that we move into when we smell a rose. I don't know if that's true, but I'd like to think it is. Roses are so magical. So much of the medicine of rose is the scent. And I mean that like when we use rose in a medicinal way, when we're working with rose petals and teas and that sort of thing, they have to have the scent. Otherwise, they don't have the medicine. So I knew that I wanted as part of my garden experience scented roses. And that set me on a whole rabbit hole. And not only did I want scented roses, but I wanted to really connect with the ancient roses, the roses that were potentially in my great-grandmother's gardens, potentially in some of my great-grandparents' gardens, maybe in Europe. And what were those roses in the Victorian times? And the roses that they use for medicine, of course, are the Rosa Centifolia, Rosa Ragosa, and Rosa Damascena, right? The Damask Rose. The Centifolia Rose is the Cabbage Rose. And the Rosa Ragosa is that five-petaled rose that I feel is sort of connected and is probably the closest connected rose to the wild rose. And it's that quintessential five petal connected to Venus, connected to the five elements, connected to the heart, like that sweet, simple rose. These were the roses that I wanted to explore. And of course, when I went to local garden centers, those were not the roses that were available. So When I discovered this place called Heirloom Roses, it's a place that you can order roses from. You can go to their store online and they have roses, some of which have been around since like early 1800s and you can get these older roses and they also have newer roses. And what I love about Heirloom Rose Company is that they make roses, they create roses, Not they're not grafted. They are own root roses. And you can look this up, it's like a whole thing. But grafted roses mean that you, I guess you graft it on. So whatever rose you're trying to grow, you would graft it on to the rootstock of any other rose. Whereas own root roses, they only are the actual rootstock of that rose. So even if canes, like when the canes come up and grow, and if you don't know anything about roses, you're probably going to be like, what is she talking about? I learned all of this very recently. So if the canes shoot up, they're always going to be from that species of rose that you purchased. So anyways, I wanted roses. It was a thing. I went on this whole hunt and tried to figure out which ones would be best for the garden. And of course you have to keep in all the things, what colors does one want? And then what do you want? Do you want those multiple petals like the damask rose or the cabbage rose, or do you want that five petaled rose? And do you want them to be able to climb the ramblers that you can train around things? So I eventually selected four roses. I chose a pink damask rose. I chose a an heirloom rose from the, I think, 1800s or something. And it's this, it's a rambling climbing rose and they're white. And those are the five petals. And then I chose two similar to Rosa Ragozas. Like they are, you know, I think they also call them like the apothecary rose. Could be wrong. Um, and I chose a white one and then I chose a pink one. The pink Rosa Ragosa went into the upper garden, which I call the OG. <laughs> it's Eden, the original garden. The plot was already started in terms of like the land. You know, I told you that there were some garden boxes. So this is alongside the house. So that's where the pink one went. Not sure if it's happy there because it doesn't get a whole lot of sun because it is on the side of the house, but we'll see. And then... The white ragosa went in the back 
of the lower garden. And then the damask rose went on the east side of the lower garden. And then the white rose rambler or climbing rose went just like five feet past the garden entrance where there's a pergola or arch. And I planted it right there. So we planted these roses two or three years ago. I can't remember if they we planted them early last year or the year before. The white roses are the ones that the climbers are the ones that I was working with today. So these white roses, I'll just call them the climbing roses, they have taken off in terms of it's this huge profusion of canes that have just shot up and all of these um, flowers just, and it's continuous blooms. And as you walk through the garden, if the wind blows, you can smell the perfume of these roses. I drop into heaven every time I go by them. And I, a couple of things I noticed year two or three, (laughs) and I'm like, hmm, I think I planted these roses a little far away from the pergola. Like I was trying to give them space because I tend to plant things too close together because I don't have an understanding. So I thought I was doing well this time, but I actually planted it too far. That was mistake number one. Um, And then I'm like, hmm, it's very interesting. These roses aren't actually growing around this pergola. Probably it's because they're too far away. Well, fast forward about five or six or 10 videos later from none other but the Heirloom Rose Company itself. And I realized first and foremost, you have to train the roses. I had no idea that the rambling roses and the climbers, I thought that they would just climb like vines do. You know, I have a clematis, I have different vines and they just climb. You you might have to train them a little bit, like just, you know, if they get off track, you just we weave something in. But I just thought that they would grow up like vines on their own. That is not the case. (laughs) So hence why today was an initiatory experience for me. The other thing that is important with roses, and I know this from my magenta rose that I had when we moved in, is the roses can get certain fungal infections. And, you know, I don't use any pesticides. If I use anything, it's neem or a copper fungicide, but I, I I don't even like to use that, even though it's supposedly supposed to be organic. I don't know. So I just don't trust it. So I, I'm pretty laissez-faire, and yet I realized, okay, there might be some things I need to do. So the roses, when you prune the roses, ideally, not only will you collect all of the the litter, the leaf litter, and bag it up rather than compost it. But also you want to really sterilize your pruning shears before you use them and then before you use them again on a different plant. So not in general for the whole garden, but for roses in particular. And with my magenta rose, the one in the rose box, she actually did eventually get black spot on her leaves. And so I did not want this to happen to my other roses. So when I learned that the pruning is part of like keeping them healthy and keeping them so that they have airflow and all of this stuff, I was on it. So that's what I was doing today. I pruned my rose for the first time. And, you know, the videos basically say like, you can give them a hard prune. And I did. And it was kind of scary. Um, of course I was working with the spirit of the rose in partnership with her, and I will be giving her essences that to support her in this, you know, this transition as she got pruned and everything to support her energy field and her stabilization. So that will all be part of the process. But then I trained the rose for the first time. And what that looked like was you actually have to take the, pull the canes and You really have to like train them in the way that you want them and then use ties to tie them up. So for anybody who knows roses, you're probably like, duh, (laughs) Diamira. Again, I thought it would grow. I thought I could stick it in the ground and it would do its thing. Okay. (laughs) So that was what I was doing today. 
And I was really just, I mean, for first of all, it's 90 degrees outside. And in some ways I was loving every moment about it. I actually really love to prune things in life. I love cutting away. I love clearing away. I love getting rid of, I love releasing. So there was a therapeutic aspect to this for me. And I was also, you know, the blooms are so beautiful and I didn't want to over prune because then what if I have to wait till next season and all of these things. So as I was Going through this experience with this rose and training and doing all of the things, I was also feeling that I really wanted to share this journey with you. And specifically, I wanted to share why I am accepting that I am not a gardener and what I've done about it. And it was so meta because as I was having these thoughts while I was, like I was just feeling the energy of this sharing today. And I was also feeling my journey and my struggle, part of my struggles with being a gardener, which I'm going to tell you in just a moment, the very thing, one of the very things that I struggle with appeared just as I was, you know, towards the end of cleaning up the leaf litter. And that was that a millipede basically encroached on my experience. Now, for those of you who have read my book, Initiation, My Fairy Soul Awakening, and if we have time, I'm going to read a little excerpt at the end here. You know that I, part of my early spiritual journey, what catalyzed a deepening of my healing experience and then all, what all, what led to not just my healing but also knowing who I was at a soul level was this tremendous phobia that I have of millipedes and centipedes even saying the name of them I look around and I'm making sure y'all aren't climbing around here are you and let me tell you no that is not crazy there was Two, a millipede, two different times climbing up. Yes, I said climbing, climbing up my stairs from the basement, you know, the ground level, which is where my office is. I was watching a movie one night with Curtis and I went to go upstairs and I saw a millipede making its way literally three quarters of the way up the stairs. And I'm like, do you all even climb or is it just in my reality? Like to stress me out. What I want to say about today and this experience with the rose, one of the reasons that I am garden challenged is because I still am very nervous system derailed when I encounter millipedes and centipedes up close and personal. I, I don't even like to actually see images of them. In addition to that, I actually have weird allergic reactions to stuff. And so there are a lot of times where I will be outside. I might brush up against grasses or even you know, harvesting squash, zucchini, or cucumbers and those prickles. And I will have a major skin reaction where my skin breaks out in a rash or hives or something super unpleasant. I get terrorized by mosquitoes. Chiggers are, and those noceums are so not my friend. <laughs> I oftentimes joke that I'm everybody else's citronella candle because the bugs will come and bite me and so they leave everybody else alone. So between that and then just this allergy situation that will happen and my still, yes, fear of millipedes and centipedes, gardening is just unjoyful and difficult and a challenge. And it's like some people find gardening as this like beautiful, therapeutic, active peace. No, for me, it's like, okay, you know, just get in there and do it. But I really have to psych myself up to do it. And oftentimes it ends in disaster for any number of reasons. So a couple of years ago, last year, actually, 
I came to a place of acceptance with myself in terms of my inability to garden. The fact that I probably won't ever be a great gardener. The fact that I don't actually have to be a gardener. Like not being a gardener doesn't mean anything. If I never garden well, if I don't like to garden, I am the only one who assigns a meaning to that. It doesn't have to mean anything about me not being good enough or not being worthy of having a garden if I can't do the hard work to to of what it's required to have one. So all of this was part of what I had to really look at last year. I saw how I was forcing myself into a state of suffering, ongoing suffering regularly because I was telling myself I had to do these things. I had to go out there, even though every time I would come in and I mean, Curtis would see me, he's like, babe, what are you doing? And I would be, my face would be flushed. My nervous system would be activated. I would be so upset because I had seen something or I'd gotten bitten by something and I would just have some sort of allergic response for days. And he's like, what are you doing? But I had to come to my own place of peace and acceptance with myself and with the fact that it's okay that I don't garden. And the other thing that I want to say about this that I really understood about myself is that, as I said, people tend to have this expectation of me because of my connection with the spirit realm of fairy that I, you know, would be a great gardener. Can I just say, by the way, I am an excellent cook. So I will cook what people grow. (laughs) Just wanted to throw that in there that I'm not selling myself short. I know my gifts and I honor my gifts. And I also honor what is not mine to do and what does not bring me joy and what is and was causing me to suffer. Um, And so the one thing that I understood about myself is that I am a creature of wild places. I know the untamed beauty of the forest. I can be at one with the natural windswept landscape or the twisted tree roots and the vines and the plants growing every which way. I love wild places and that is really the place that I find that most reflects my own soul's expression is the wildness of nature. And I deeply appreciate cultivation. I deeply respect cultivation and I want gardens. (laughs) I want not just the gardens of my childhood, but gardens that remind me of the English cottage gardens and just these I mean, hanging gardens of Babylon, anyone? I'm all for it. (laughs) So I want gardens. And yet I am coming to this, I've come to this place of peace that it's okay that I'm not a gardener. And so last year when I came to this really uh, powerful moment of acceptance, I gave myself permission to fully step into who I am in relationship to the garden. And the way that I was being shown it, and at the time I was working a lot with tarot, I love tarot, and uh, the queen of the queen of coins, the queen of pentacles was coming forward a lot. And if you've seen her card, she is sitting in these great gardens, right? And what I was being reflected and what my own soul was trying to communicate to me and this is still an evolving understanding, is that one of my gifts is as a visionary. I have the ability to see not just way into the future, but to really hold great overarching umbrella visions of big, big, big dreams. And I can see a hundred steps down the way. And then part of my work is, okay, how do I now break out the steps of that to extrapolate back so that I can get myself to 
that vision, right? And so in either case, I allowed myself to to totally commune and claim this gift of me being a visionary. And that was the archetype in that moment of queen. It was like the queen of the garden. She who is like in her sovereign place of power and holding the vision of the garden. And it was like the queen, you know, and I'm talking about in a very archetypal sense, the queen kind of looks out over the kingdom and and looks out and asks herself what needs to be nurtured? How does this kingdom need to be stewarded and nurtured? And then she can see about it, but she's not the one that necessarily goes out and provides the nurturing to every single person in the kingdom, right? She just can see as the overarching principle, what needs nurtured? Who needs nurturing? How does this vision need to be fed. And so when I allowed myself to step into that role of queen, what I and and release gardener, I freed myself. I freed myself so fully. And it was then that I gave myself full permission to hire a gardener. And that position I call it the gardening angel. And it's so beautiful because so much of the energy and resources that my business creates and brings in is then funneled and flowed to the new Avalon lands and and garden. And so I've never really spoken that publicly, but a lot of, um, a lot of the money that I make in my business, I'm then able to direct and channel that to support the these lands and how I'm stewarding these lands. And it just is this beautiful circuitry because for those of you who have worked with me, you know that New Avalon is this beautiful container template that actually holds a lot of my courses, a lot of my programs, a lot of my containers. When I'm working with people, it is not only sourced from the energetic and love of this land, but also from the beautiful vortex of healing that is co-created by the spirits that have come together here in relational exploration to serve and support the dream vision of Gaia's new earth consciousness. And so, um, so it's just this beautiful circuitry. And so I, you know, in hiring support, I can now hold the vision and then offer and direct my vision and have support that helps carry out and implement my vision, which is so, so, so beautiful. And I'm in such gratitude for this great honor that I have to not just be able to finally now be able to channel some resources to this, but also that I am able to be a steward in this way. So that has been a huge part of my gardening journey. And What I have found is that as I have freed myself, both from my own unrealistic expectations, as well as from this rigid role and idea of who I thought I needed to be, I have freed up so much energy of mine. And now I'm able to even dream in more beautiful more extraordinary ways with more energy. The vision just keeps expanding and reworking itself and evolving and shifting and parts of it die and are reordered and reconfigured. And it's just this beautiful cycle. So that has been part a huge part of my gardening journey. And what I've also found is that as I've allowed for this, then here and there, now that my energy is freed and it's like, I don't have to do all of the things. I'm not the one who has to dig in the ground and plant the things when that's not really my wheelhouse and really my happy place. Now I find that here and there, I do want to do some of that, you know, and the roses today were part of that. I wanted to prune the roses. I wanted to train the roses for the first time. And it was the other day, um, I'm just checking in if I'm ready to share that. So I'm not going to share the detail of it, but 
the whole garden actually has multi-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional in that it has, it exists at different dimensional layers of reality. The garden does. And there was this one place, this one specific garden plot. And I really wanted to dedicate this one place to the deva of New Avalon, to the deva of the garden, almost as a sort of living altar. And so I cleaned out this place and I I did it all my own. And I took my time because I thought if I run into any bugs, I'm going to freak out. But I just took my time and I did one thing after the other. First, I cleared out some of the old plants that were no longer viable in there. And then I added lots of compost and then I went and I specifically purchased plants that I thought would just be this, create this beautiful and most extraordinary color pattern in there. And some of them are food plants and some of them are just plants of great beauty. And I blessed it and I consecrated it. And then I planted these beautiful, um, plantings. And I did this. It was a very small area and yet I wanted to do it. I didn't want my garden angel to do this part, not for any other reason other than I wanted to do this part. It was like really special and important to me. And so, um, yeah, I'm just finding that more and more now here and there, I want to do certain tasks or activities in the garden. But I don't have to, and I don't feel forced to. And it's just a really beautiful thing. So the last thing that I want to share as part of this garden, but yet oh so much more than just a garden conversation, is my, I want to circle back to that question around my fear with the millipedes. So where the book ends, Initiation, That was about 2009. I think the book ends in the fall of 2009. We're in 2023. So we're, this is a long journey. Um, In 2009 and around that time period, I made such great headway. And there's even aspects and pieces that are not in the book that came later. Understandings, other pieces of that actual story dropping in other pieces of integration. So when I see these creatures, I don't hyperventilate anymore. So that's good. The reaction is not as strong as it was. And yet it is still present. I still have a fear. And for a long time, I looked at this as a failure. I've healed so much and Of course, I take other people through journeys of healing. And there was this part of me that was judging myself around, well, if you haven't healed this, then, you know, who do you think you are? And there was also this part of me that was frustrated with myself. Like, am I ever going to heal this? And that's when I realized, this was also last year, I was looking at it wrong. I was looking at it wrong. I realized that I had an opportunity to love and accept myself in a way that I had never loved and accepted myself before. And what I mean is that because of all of my stories and ideas in my mind about labels, who I am, oh, I'm I'm a healer. I've been not only am I a healer, but I've been on this journey for so long, healing these different stories and belief patterns and traumas and who am I if I don't and all that. I had an opportunity to love myself where I was at, to stop judging myself, stop ridiculing that part of me that had still not somehow integrated or released the fear, I had an opportunity to turn toward her rather than crash coursing her, gotta heal this, gotta heal this, you're doing it again and forcing her into some another healing process. I had an opportunity to turn toward her and to just say, you know what? I love you. Even if you never let go of this fear, even if you never heal this phobia, even if you 
always have a reaction. Even if you embarrass me because we're out with a group of people and I see a millipede or centipede and freak out. Even if all of that, I love you. If you never heal this thing to the quote unquote level of sex satisfaction that Diamira thinks is acceptable. I love you. And that has changed everything. That is where it started. It's almost like now I see that my fear has become this gift to love myself more deeply. So we can all thank the roses. for me having the inspiration to share this with you all today. And I guess we can also thank the millipede. Yeah, we will thank the millipede and the rose for inspiring me to share about this circuitous and twisting, ever-evolving journey of mine that, yes, is being brought about and expressed through the imagery of a garden. But as you can see, it's so much more. I hope that in the sharing of this story that you might be able to look at places of where you might be holding yourself in some rigid idea of who you need to be, what that needs to look like. If you don't do that, what that means about you. And just begin to question. That's all. Don't have to heal it. You don't have to resolve it. Just begin to get really curious because that's where that little thread will begin to show itself so that then you can slowly pull on it with gentle curiosity and it can start to unravel just like it did for me. So I would like to leave you with this final excerpt from this book. Initiation, my fairy soul awakening. The lady brushes my head with her glittering hand, and I am filled with light. I suddenly perceive the light in all the crevices of creation, even here in this horrid hole. Remember who you are. Her words comfort me like a song, soothing my soul across the ages of time. I begin to sing. My voice fills the space. The once oppressive shadows submit as sacred tones erupt from a tiny temple within my heart. Like a secret jewel box of earth, air, water, fire, my truth is alive. I can be alive and be at peace, I hear myself say. It is safe to be in my power. The light permeates the darkness of the enclosure, but also the nether regions of my soul. Even the crawling creatures that have haunted me for weeks for eons are only light. I see how they have surged an age-old soul agreement to carry the memory of this trauma, reminding me of wounds that need to heal. Thank you for your service, I say, acknowledging the part they have played in my story. Even if only for an ephemeral instant in time, I feel love for them. For the first time in weeks, months, Years, lifetimes, I feel a glimmering of peace. Thank you so much for joining me for this final story sharing and episode of season one of Elemental Whispers podcast. This has been such an incredible journey. I have loved sharing with you in this way and I can't wait to see what unfolds for the next season and next chapter of this adventure. In the meantime, please know that you can visit me at diamirarose.com and explore all of my offerings and ways in which we can work together. You can also get on my email list and make sure that you stay up to date with all of the happenings and that which is unfolding on this amazing adventure (laughs) called Life on Earth.
from Diamira's corner of the world. Until next time, blessings from the sacred heart of New Avalon. Mm-hmm.